Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. My name's Stephen Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're with us for the first time, we're happier here and we'd love to get to know you. So last uh, few weeks ago, I preached to you from Titus chapter 2. And as I was thinking about what to preach today, I had a very creative idea. How about we go with Titus chapter three? Yeah. But actually this is uh, really a helpful passage for us. I think it's something, um, what God has said here, I believe is very, very important for us right now in in a pretty, obvious ways, we'll get into reading the text. And so give your heart to the Lord and open up your ears and and soften your neck as we read God's word. Titus chapter three. I'm gonna read verses one through 11. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you please open your word to us? Open our hearts to your word. Make us humble. Melt our hearts, Lord, with your mercy. And help us to be obedient, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you know, this is, uh, the book of Titus is... um, a letter written from the Apostle Paul to Titus, right? And so Titus is a pastor. And the Apostle Paul has left Titus on a little island in the Mediterranean called Crete, and he is to establish elders and churches and bring peace and, and stability to the churches there. But he's a pastor. And so what we have in the book of Titus, just like First and Second Timothy, you have letters written by the Apostle Paul to pastors telling the pastors how they're to do their work. And we get to like eavesdrop, right? And see what 
the pastors are supposed to be doing. It's a good way for you to decide if we are doing our work well. Here it is, it's out there in the open for everyone to see, right? And so what he's doing is he's telling Titus what to say and how to say it uh, and why. And here's what he says in verse one of chapter three. He begins by saying this, remind them, remind them. Now just stay there for a second. If, you, if you're told to remind someone, um, what does that assume? Well yeah, it assumes that we forget, and what else? But they've already been told, right? I mean, you parents know how this works with your kids. You, you, we have to kind of remind them. We, you, you don't tell them something once and then you're done, right? You gotta remind them over and over and over. And over. Well, we're the same way, especially when it comes to certain things, okay? And so the Apostle Paul says to Titus, remind them. This is something that has been said over and over and over again, and it does not go without saying, it must be said over and over and over again. Well, what is it? He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. This is not something new, this is not something out of the blue that is some kind of novel, kind of, you know, obscure exception to the rule. This is the rule. This is what the Apostle Paul and all of Scripture says over and over and over again to God's people. Remind them, because they already know, but remind them again to be subject to rulers and to authorities and to be obedient. Where has he said this kind of thing before? Well, the classic place, of course, is is Romans 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn back there or not, just listen, I'll read it to you. Listen to Romans 13, one and two. Every person, who does that exclude? Are you all persons? (laughs) Yeah, okay, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. It's exactly the same thing that he says in Titus 3. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So how many authorities that exist have not been established by God? None. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, think about this. There are no exceptions to this. That's just what, this is a blanket statement. About, the estab- about where authority comes from, where it gets its authority from in the first place, right? It's from God. And this is a statement actually about all kinds of authority, whether in the home or in the state or in the church, 
right? This is actually here in verses one and two talking about all authorities. Authority is of a fabric. It's all, it all comes from God. You can't decide, well, yeah, I'll, I'll obey God. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to God. I'll, be sub, I'll, I'll subject myself to God, but I will not subject myself to that authority, that father, that parent, that mother, right? That governor, that king, that whatever. No, you can't do that. That husband, because all authority that exists is established by God. That's simply what scripture says, all right? Here's another place. First uh, Peter chapter two. Listen to this. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to open this actually because I'm gonna show you a little more, but I want you to, I want you to hear this and see it. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse 13. Not just the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It's exactly the same thing that the Apostle Paul says. There's a Godward reason for this. For the Lord's sake, right? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorant of foolish men. Now, what would be the the ignorance of foolish men that needs to be silenced here by Christians? By Christians doing what is right. And what is is right? Well, it's submitting to the governing authorities. What what would be the, the ignorance of foolish men that needs to be silenced? Well, partly, it would be... Uh, you know, throw off authority. Partly it would be Christians are rebels. Christians are anarchists. Christians don't believe in authority. That's an ignorant thing to say. We believe in God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Of course we believe in authority, right? Well, eh. is it though? Do you? Authority is of a fabric. You cannot pick and and choose. You can't take your scissors out and cut out huge patches of authority and still claim that you honor the Lord and the King. Okay? So do you or not? Well, the way to silence the ignorance of foolish men is by doing what's right by honoring the authorities, by submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then he says this in verse 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Yes, you are free. Use that freedom to honor God as a bond slave of God by submitting to authority. That's the argument. Then he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, brothers and sisters, um, as the church in America, we are not doing very well at this. We are not. We are looking for all the reasons why this, in fact, does not apply to us. (laughs) There's no surprise, this is what we do. This is what rebels always do. And everybody has that rebellion in their heart. 
Even Christians still have it, right? But we're not doing very well with this, even though scripture says this over and over and over and over again. Even though the apostle Paul tells Titus, remind them of these things. We need to be reminded because we don't like to hear it, but we're not doing well. We come up with all kinds of excuses. Uh, here's an excuse I've, I've heard a lot recently in the last year, right? Um, well, none of this applies to us because, um, well, we don't have a king, we have a constitution. And somehow that's supposed to free us from having to obey these passages. We don't have a king or an emperor, we have a constitution. And so we are to, you know, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the constitution. I mean, that's what literally people are saying right now. I just read it the other day. Which means, oh, this has no application to any actual person. I don't actually have to honor anyone. All I have to do is honor a system of government that doesn't have any people in it, apparently. That doesn't have people who are given authority by the Constitution, no, I just need to honor the, the Constitution. This, this doesn't make any sense. This is incredibly convenient for us rebels to be able to throw off what Scripture says. You know, get out the scissors, get out the, the Sharpie. You know, like all those documents, you know, declassified documents released by the government that have huge blocks of them blacked out, you can't. Yeah, go ahead and do that because that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. You just have to ignore it and say, no, this, this means nothing to me if that's your argument. Here's, uh, here's some other arguments, right? Um, well, all of these passages are talking about legitimate authority. Legitimate authority, right? You know, like Nero who came into office by killing his predecessor, that kind of legitimate authority. Because that was the case. That's what he's talking about. Nero and his mother conspired to kill the last guy. And then, of course, Nero killed her. Great guy. Well, there, so that doesn't work because here is what it says, submit to them. Okay, well, then here's another excuse we should only submit to good rulers or good laws based on my judgment, of course, of what is good. Reasonable, reasonable laws, right? Reasonable authorities. Well, if you still have your Bible open in 1 Peter 2, I want you to look at something. Right after he says in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, what does he say next? Mm-hmm, well, read, look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, but only if they're respectable. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. All right, he assumes bad authority. He assumes that, that many of the authorities that you will have to submit to 
are unreasonable, are bad. In fact, where does he go next? Verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. What's the example? What's the example? Well, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What did they do to Jesus? They killed him, justly or unjustly? Completely unjustly. And what did he do? He didn't fight back. And what this says is he's our example. And then look at chapter three. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands when you agree with them, when they're right. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. This is just all over the place. This is not a good excuse. I don't like the authority. They're wrong. They're unreasonable. They're disobedient to the word. Yeah. Yeah. God knows that. That in no way provides a caveat for you to disobey them. Now there is a caveat, isn't there? What is it? We must obey God rather than men. Now the thing is, here's the little thing today. Uh, you know, a caveat is like a footnote, right? But uh, Christians today have turned the footnote into the main text. And they've underlined it, italicized it, put it in bold, and amped up the font. <laughs> Okay, and it becomes the only thing. It becomes the, the hand that they use to swipe away the clear, repeated teaching of Scripture. Well, we all know that we're not supposed to do anything that you know, disobeys God, so if the, this is not a, a blank check for government to tell you anything that they want you to do, if they, if they tell you to disobey God, you have to resist. Yeah, I know that. Doesn't everybody know that? Isn't that a no-brainer? Doesn't it almost go without saying? Apparently it does basically almost go without saying. Why? Does, does Romans 13 say it? Are there footnotes in Romans 13, the caveats? Are there yes or no? No. Are there caveats in 1 Peter 2? No. Are there caveats in Titus 3? No. We all know it's true, you know. You see this all over scripture, but, when, but that's not the point of this. That is the exception, not the rule. You know, you've heard Tim, you've heard Pastor Bailey perhaps, if you've been around long enough here, him talk about that quote from somebody about the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal, that's exactly what people are doing today in the church. What's normal is submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every institution of man. Fear God, honor the king, 
Submit yourself to the authorities. They're established by God. Remind them to be submissive to authorities, to be obedient. That's the rule. That's the normal. But we want to act as if none of that exists because, oh wait, there's a footnote. What is the footnote? When do people in Scripture, when are they right and even praised for disobeying the governing authorities? Well, you have all kinds of examples. You've got the Hebrew midwives who, um, the, you know, the Pharaoh says, kill the baby boys, and they fear God and they will not do that. They disobey the government and then they lie about it. <laughs> and they're praised, they're honored. Hebrews 11, you know, the, You have Rahab, who hides the spies on the roof and lies about it. You have um, the apostles, right, who are told to stop preaching, and they said, well, you be the judge if we should disobey, if we should obey God or man. We're gonna go right on preaching, and they do, and they suffer for it. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down and worship, nope, not gonna do that. You have Daniel bow down and worship, or, or stop bowing down and worshiping. Nope, not gonna do that. So what's always at stake in these examples? Life. Life. The life of babies, for example. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna kill them. And eternal life. We're not gonna bow down to idols and we're not gonna stop preaching the gospel. Right? That's where the caveats are. Not on stupid little things that are inconvenient for you. The apostle Paul and the apostle Peter would be scandalized at the kinds of things we think are worth disobeying God because that's what it is, it's disobeying God. They would, be, they would think our excuses are quite pitiful. And they are. So, I'm doing what the Apostle Paul told Titus to do, I'm reminding you, okay? Reminding you. You already know this, but I'm reminding you. All right, back to Titus three. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Then he says to be ready for every good work. Um, good works are not supposed to be an afterthought. You know, the thing that you, uh, 10 minutes later you think, oh, maybe I should have, you know, helped the old lady across the street. I don't know. But to be ready for it to be ready for it, to be looking for opportunities to do any kind of good work, any kind of goodness, to be ready for it, have a hair trigger set, ready, bam. There's a good thing I need to do, I need to do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be helpful, I'm gonna speak the truth, I'm gonna help someone to be ready for every good deed. Then in verse two he says this, Oh, 
to malign no one. Now, verse one is kind of cosmic and vague, sort of, kind of, but verse two is not. To malign no one. Oh, my goodness. We are not doing well with this, the church. We love to malign everybody. What, is, what does malign mean? Well, it means to talk bad about somebody, to put them down, right? The, the Greek word actually is blaspheme. Blaspheme. It's the same word used about talking bad about God, right? Blaspheme. We, you hear, you, you, know, you understand blasphemy, right? Blasphemous, yeah, it's speaking ill of God. It's the same word. The Apostle Paul says, do not blaspheme anyone. How can he use that word? You remember what um, James says? James chapter three. It says this in verse eight. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, God. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So it's gonna be either or, but it can't be both. We come together and we worship and we say good things about God. We bless him, we praise him. And we won't be out of this building today before we're blaspheming men. Made in the image of God. I'm guilty of this. Malign no one. Not your neighbor, not the people who live on the east side. I know, it's hard. but that's what it says. Then he says, to be peaceable. You know, get the chip off your shoulder. Don't be ready to fight about everything. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Showing every consideration for all men. This is one of those, you know, every, every consideration. For, for who? The men you like the men who share your politics or your social class or your education or lack thereof. No, every consideration for all men. Be ready to be gentle and helpful and kind to everybody. Think, uh, be preemptive in this. 
Not just reactive, right? Think about what would I want if I were them? How can I help them? This is what Jesus has said is the whole law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others the way you would want them to treat you. That's what he's saying. This is nothing new. Show every consideration for all men. Now, brothers and sisters, does this sound easy to you? Do you feel the pain? I feel the pain because I've got neighbors. So do you. Uh, You've got uh, all kinds of people that you are perfectly willing to completely ignore this scripture with. I do too, I, I do. This is not easy. This has not come naturally to any of us. That's why we have to be what? Reminded, 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 reminded. Now, God could just leave it at that, okay? This is the word of the Lord. It is, you know, he doesn't need to explain himself. He doesn't need to stoop down and reason with us. All he has to do is just say, do this, I'm the Lord, right? It's often what he does do in scripture. But he is very kind here because he doesn't actually do that. He actually goes on and it's like he gets down and, and actually brings us into the thinking, okay? And wants us to think, to change our thinking because you can't do this unless you change your thinking. And primarily it's changing your thinking about yourself that will allow you to obey verses one and two. Well, what do I mean? Look at verse three. For, so here's the reason, right? He's reasoning with you. Here's the, here's the because. Because we also once were foolish ourselves. What is he saying? So the people he's telling us to be kind to, to be peaceable, to be obedient towards, to be ready to, be, to bless them with good deeds, to not malign them, to be gentle, to show every consideration for all men. Those, the people he's talking about are people who are right now currently what? Hmm? Foolish. What else? Disobedient. What else? Deceived. What else? enslaved to all kinds of lusts and passions. What else? Giving themselves to malice and envy. What else? Hateful and and hating. Those are the people we are supposed to be peaceable, gentle, and kind, not malicious, showing them every consideration, you know, taking pity on them, Because why? Because that's us. That's us, that's you. We also once were ourselves. Now do you see that? We also once were ourselves. Do you really think you're better than them? so easy to malign them, isn't it? 
Why? Well, because they're foolish. Look at them. I mean, foolishness, what is the essence of foolishness? The essence of foolishness actually is just disobedience, it's rebellion. Look at the Proverbs. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Uh, you know, uh, the fool is the one who, who, when instructed, he hates it. He hates to be instructed. And you look at the people out there, and they hate to be instructed. They, hate, they will not submit to the Lord. They will not submit to him. They reject him. They're fools. Yeah, that's what you used to be, right? It's so easy to look at them and say, oh, they're just fools. What fools? Stupid idiots. How could they think that was even remotely reasonable? They're foolish and they're disobedient. And they're deceived. They actually believe that stuff, right? And they're just, they're just slaves. They're just slaves to their lusts and their pleasures. What scum. <laughs> they're actually enslaved to their lusts. Psh. We spit on them. Look at them, they're nasty. They spend their life in malice and envy. Just look at them, all of them from top to bottom. That's what they do. They spend their life in malice and envy. They're nasty, they're petty. Um, they want what's not theirs. They envy everybody for you know, being, having what they don't have. They're covetous. They're hateful. Hateful here, it says hateful and, and hating one another. Do you see that? So you know what it is to hate one another. Hateful here doesn't mean, it's not describing what's inside your heart. It means you are worthy of hate. That's what hateful means. It means you're receiving hate. Just look at them. They, they consume each other. They bite each other to bits. You know, they cancel one another. Look at, what a stinking mess. I hate those people. I mock them. Isn't that us? Isn't that what we do? Yes, it is what we do. It is. But what's the, what's the logic here? <laughs> what's the logic? Uh, he says, remind them to be submissive, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to malign no one, right? To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men because that is you. We also once were foolish ourselves. Do you seriously think that you honestly are actually better than them? Do you remember what it was like to be like that? Do you even, will you even accept that this is an accurate description of what you were? This is what the Holy Spirit says you were. We also once were. Do you believe that? Do you accept that? Or do you think you became a Christian because actually you're smarter than that? <laughs> you know, you were better than that. 
I'm a Christian because I was wise enough. When I heard the gospel, I knew a good deal when I heard it, and I was like, I'm not stupid. I will accept that. And pat myself on the back for having accepted that. I'm better than those people who don't accept it. They're stupid. They're fools. Is that how it worked for you? Is that what happened to you? (laughs) No. We also once were foolish ourselves. Do you remember what it was like to be a fool? It's interesting, this is in the past tense, isn't it? We were also once a, I know that we all have foolishness in us still and disobedience and deceit and lust and envy and, and you know all of that stuff. I know we still do, but something serious has changed. Well, what is it? What has changed? How has that happened? How come you're not that way? How can he say we once were? What, what has changed? Verse four. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. The kindness of God our Savior. His love for mankind, for you, as you were back then, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God shows his love for for us in this, while we were yet sinners, he sent his son for us. kindness of God our Savior, his love for mankind burst onto the scene in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of its glory. That's why you're not the way you were. He saved you. He saved you from your sins. Yeah, he saved you from the penalty of your sins, but he also saved you from the power of your sins. That's why he can speak in the past tense. Look what it says. He saved us. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. In case it's not obvious, he makes it obvious. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. How in the world, having read that description, right? You were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved with various lusts and pleasures, spending your life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Oh, and would you like to do some good works now? Maybe you could earn, maybe you could earn your salvation after all. You know? How could we even imagine that that would be possible? It's not. But we still think it, so he has to say it. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But How? But according to his mercy, he had mercy on you. He had mercy on you. You do not deserve this. It's not because you're smarter 
or less rebellious by nature or less foolish or less enslaved by your lusts? No, you're not. Neither am I. It's by his mercy. You know the old saying, it's kind of a cliche, you know. People rattle it off. But for the grace of God, there go I. You know? Whenever you hear someone say it, it usually almost kind of has a little tinge of uh, self-righteousness in it. You know, but for the grace of God, (laughs) there go I, you know. But it's true, but it's not actually quite true. But for the grace of God, there went I. I was that. I was, I did. But for the grace of God, I'm not anymore. That's what he's saying. Okay, how did he save us? Not on the, cor- not on, not on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. You have been given, if you belong to Christ, you have a new heart. You've been born again, that's what it means to be regeneration. This means you're born again, you have a new heart. He has actually changed you. He has taken out the heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. He's taken his law and written it on your heart and made you want to obey it. That's what it means to be born again. Renewed, made new again, a new creature by the Holy Spirit. Verse six. Whom he poured out, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God has poured out upon us his Holy Spirit. How? Richly. Not meagerly, not miserly, but richly. I think some of us have in our mind, when we think about the Lord, we think about, we, we, we will acknowledge his kindness, but we think of him as, you know, miserly, remarkably rich man who has a very tight fist and who is willing to you know, drop a, a quarter in your hand from time to time. Or worse, you know, we're, we're just in the, the prison camp. You've all seen these in the movies, you know, where you, you have, you know, the prison camp and you've got the line of bedraggled people walking through the mess hall, you know, or whatever, and there's the kind of begrudging, surly, slop, master, you know, you know, putting the, the ladle of slop in the, and the, you know, uh, you know, they walk away. And that's how the Lord dispenses his mercies to you. Well, that's not what it says. He has given you his Holy Spirit. He has poured out his Holy Spirit on you richly 
Remember what we read in, in Ephesians 2 just a few minutes ago? He is, this is according to the riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you think that's how, if you don't think God is kind to you, richly, pouring out his immense, you know, unimaginable mercy on you, if you think God is miserly, pinched, begrudging, it's the only way you can be malicious to your neighbors. It's the only way you can malign them. It's the only way you can think you're better than them. These things go together. But he, but he is, he's rich. Look at what he says. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ, verse seven, so that being justified by his grace, we, we roll over those words because they just seem like Bible words, you know, jargon, but it's not jargon. What does it mean to be justified by his grace? It means when God looks at you, what does he see? What does he see? When God looks at you what, and, and he treats you, what does he, what does he look at you? How does he look at you? He looks at you as if you were Jesus. Jesus is righteous, perfectly righteous. And when God looks at you, this is what it means to be justified. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. When God looks at you, he sees not all of your sin, which is there, yes, but he treats you as if you were just as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be justified. And if you don't get that, you don't get the first thing about what it means to be a Christian. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <laughs> what, do you, what do you stand to inherit? Eternal life, eternal life. And yet what? You can't stand your neighbor because of how he drives, because of how he mows the grass. Because of his politics? Because of course you're not that stupid. Really? You stand to inherit eternal life. <laughs> so do you see the logic of this passage? He calls us to things that are purely unnatural to us. But then he says, yeah, but that's how you used to be. Now this is how you are. This is how it happened. God did it. You didn't. He's He's had mercy on you. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on you richly through Jesus Christ. He's renewed you by the Holy Spirit. He's caused you to be born again. He's, he's made you, he's justified you, declared you perfectly righteous before him, and he has made you an heir of eternal life. Can't you be nice? <laughs> you know? 
Can't you, can't you love your neighbor? Can't you stop talking nasty? Can't you stop blaspheming that man or woman who's made in the image of God? Can't you stop thinking you're better than them because you're not? You're not. This all hinges on you getting how bad you were and how great the mercy of God is for you. Then he says this, these things are good. I'm sorry, verse eight. This is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Now he's, remember, he's talking to the pastor here. I want you to speak confidently about these things, not apologetically, not hesitatingly, but confidently. You have to say this kind of thing over and over and over again. Keep doing it and do it confidently. So that, why? So that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. That's the point. The whole point of this is that we would be careful to engage in good deeds. Okay? Now, I wanna look at nine to 11 very quickly because I think it's very important for us right now to get this, where we are today. Look at verse nine. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. There's all kinds of things that we could give ourselves to talking about as pastors that are actually unprofitable and worthless. It's all the stuff we want to talk about today that we want to read about and listen to and, and be riled up by. He said, no, this is unprofitable and worthless. You should be talking about these things. What things? Well, be submissive to the government, be obedient, show every consideration for all men, malign no one. Why? Because you were once foolish or something. That's what we're supposed to talk about. And that will help us to engage in good deeds, right? Then you look at verse 10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Why does he say that here? Well, it's interesting, I think, right now, where we are as a country, right? All kinds of things are like lining up on top of each other right now. And it is the perfect storm. This is the perfect mix for what? Yeah. Everything that he's just said is the opposite of division. But here it is, this is the perfect opportunity for division. There's a reason why he says this here. We live in a day where all these things have lined up together. Let's, let's, let's just name them, right? Um, the election. Um, abortion. Right? LGBTQ trans stuff. And all the politics surrounding that. The canceling of people for like saying the most normal, natural things that anyone has ever said in the history of the world. But what was the, what's the other piece that lays down on top of that? COVID. And we are just itching for a fight. 
and it's poison. And now we think we're justified to literally disobey every line of Titus 3. To obey no one, to submit to no one, to malign everyone, to have uh, to be fighting about everything, to be harsh, to think that we're better than all those people out there who are just idiots for not believing what we believe about the most obvious things in the world. Right? Isn't this us? And then you have people in that context rising up, doing what Scripture says they would do, to pull disciples away after themselves. And we are all completely susceptible to that. But here's what God says. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Faction, heresy. That's why the word is heresy. It doesn't mean doctrine here. It just means division. Reject a, a, a factious man, a divisive man, once, then twice, and then what? Then what? I mean rebuke. Then what? Reject him. have nothing to do with him. But we will have everything to do with factious men. Why do we want to have everything to do with factious men? Because they tell us what we want to hear and they scratch us where we itch and they justify our rebellion. A factious man, he says, is perverted We're willing to call all kinds of people perverted and they're perverse things and perverse people, but the factious man is perverted. And is sinning. And is what? Self-condemned. It's like he comes into the, the Supreme Court, pulls out a gun, shoots someone, and then confesses to doing it. I mean, that's how obvious it is, okay? There's no debate about this. There's no due process. He is self-condemned. So reject him. Have nothing to do with him. But here we are. We love our factious men. So, how are we doing? How are we doing with all this? Yeah, it hurts, it does. You know, people walk up and say, oh, I, was, I needed to hear that. Well, believe me, I needed to hear it too. And here we are, we sit under the word of God. And we don't judge it, it judges us. But, it also gives us great comfort and hope, doesn't it? We once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malicious and envious and hateful, but God saved us. That's the energy, that's the engine. That's the motive, that's the power for doing these very difficult things that don't come naturally. 
That's the only way we're gonna do them is if we keep those things in the front of our minds, in the front of our hearts, right before our eyes all the time. If we keep reminding you of these things, the only way we can do that is to remind ourselves of this over and over again. That is me, that's me. And so I, 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 I take pity on them, not as a superior to an inferior, but as someone who is just like that but was pulled out of it by the mercy of God. How can I possibly, you know? How can I think I'm better than them? Not. May God have mercy on us. Remind us of his mercy so that we'd be careful to engage in good deeds. That's what it's about. That is actually the point. All right, let's pray. Father, would you please again have mercy on us and open our eyes uh, to our desperate, awful state apart from you. And let us not turn that into self-righteousness or pride or judgmentalism or censoriousness, but into real humility, real pity, real compassion, and obedience to you. Please help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.